pray for our temporal needs. In other words, we're not to start off going, okay, God, here's what I need, all right? Uh, Instead, he instructed us to begin by first addressing him um, and then to worship him. Now, this order is absolutely essential in prayer, not because this specific order, there's something mystical about it, and if you pray in this order, it's like a magic spell, and if you get all the parts right, then God's going to give you what it is that you're asking for. That's not what we mean, but what I mean instead is it's essential in the fact that it's not until you and I are reminded of who it is that we're conversing with in our prayer, all right? And that we ultimately identify and worship and glorify him for who he is and what he's done. It's only then that we're really prepared to begin to make an appropriate request of God, right? Now, let me make sure we understand this. There's nothing wrong with making a request to God. You understand that, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong to ask him to do something or to move on your behalf. In fact, In the word of God, in in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, we're actually commanded to bring our request to God. There in Philippians, Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So we're commanded to come to God with our requests. But before we do, what is essential for us to do is to make sure that our hearts and our wills are aligned to the heart and the will of God so that the prayers and the requests that we make will be more effective. And we want to have effective prayer, do we not? In other words, you don't want to pray and go, I don't know why nothing seems to be happening. Well, maybe our hearts are not in tune with the heart and the will of God. If they were, and we spent more time reflecting on who God is and knowing who he is and understanding his will in our prayer life, then those requests of God would be much more consistent with who he is. And I think that we would see much more fulfillment of the prayers in which we pray. Does that, does that make sense? And so what we're going to do today is, what well, last week, we begin to look at this, the Lord's Prayer, Disciples' Prayer, you name it, whatever you want to call it. But we looked at the, uh, our address to God, then our worship of God, and now we finally get to what everybody has been waiting for, our request to God, all right? Uh, I don't want you to feel as though it's one of those things where you're like, okay, finally, we got through the God stuff, now let's talk about me, all right? That's not where we want to be on this, but we're going to be looking at the request. You can tell we're going to be observing the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, but before we do, I want to go ahead and unpack this last part of the the prayer that Christ provides for us here. And so we want to look at our request to God, and Jesus does what he does so well, and he just kind of divides it up into two simple categories. I love that about Jesus. And the first is the physical request. The second is spiritual request. So let's take a look at those this morning. First of all, the physical request of God. He says, give us this day our daily bread. The word bread there is not to be understood as actual physical, literal, tangible bread, but rather is kind of used as a metaphor for us to really to represent everything that is essential for life, okay? So the bread here covers a whole smattering uh, of things. And so what he does is he says, hey, listen, uh, God, we want to pray for what is essential. Uh, Then he adds this word daily. Now, this narrows our request even more. Because what, in essence, he's telling us to do is, is to, for us to request or ask if God was essential for life, not for tomorrow or next week or next month or next year or when we retire, right? But rather to provide for us just simply what is absolutely necessary just for today. 
God, just for my life, just for my lungs to keep breathing and for life to be able to go on for me and my family, just provide that. So we're not praying for luxuries. We're just praying for necessities. Now, I got to tell you, that's hard to do, isn't it? I mean, because I, I think a lot of times we think things are necessities and they're not necessities, they're luxuries for what it is that we're praying to God about. So this is a difficult thing to do in our prayer life, only pray for the necessities, but it becomes a lot easier Listen to me carefully on this. If you spent time first addressing God and worshiping God, because when we've taken time to take uh, our views off the things that we want and just begin to see God for who he is and all that he's already given us and that we have our truest treasure and our truest, greatest gift of all things is found in the person of Jesus Christ, then guess what? Our list of wants begin to shrink. They begin to get much smaller because we're reminded of what it is that we have, the value of what we have. And let me, let me say it this way. Some of you, that doesn't speak until I give you an illustration. So here's the illustration, all right? We, we all, from time to time, get a new vehicle, right? And what I mean by new vehicle, I don't mean brand new. I just mean new to you, all right? And so sometimes you have your way of determining that. My wife's way is when the car blows up, all right, it's time to get a new vehicle, all right? I'm not really that type. I look for signs, right? When you're approaching 200,000 miles, it might be time to, hey, something's going on here, all right? When lights begin to pop on all over the place, then it might be time when you're starting to put more money into things and that, and so I've got an older truck and, uh, and listen, after, this is just an illustration. Don't come up and go, I've got an older truck than you, all right? This isn't a competition. I just got to come up with some kind of illustration, okay? And so, uh, the, the life I live. So, uh, the, and so 2004 truck, you know, Toyota Tacoma, little, you know, little four-door kind of unit there. And every time I, you know, something will have a little light will come on, I'll go get it checked out. And I'm thinking, okay, I got 200,000 miles on it or almost 200,000 miles. I'm like, what do I what do I, you know, maybe I need to be looking. So you get on Craigslist, right? And you start looking for the value of your car and the value of other, other people. What can I ultimately get? And then I take my car in or, or uh, it, it may be just going up to Walmart and I park there and some guy will park next to me and he goes, man, he goes, what year is that? I go, 2004? He goes, man, I love that. I love that body style, man, that, that Toyota Tacoma, that older body style, especially that four-door. Mammy, you found a jewel right there. He goes, I'll tell you what, you, you interested in selling it? And you're like, no, you can't, you can't have my truck. You, know, just, you, you can't have my And so instead of going at that point, and this actually just happened last week. I had this illustration already done earlier in the week. And then then uh, Friday, I go and send my car in and a little check engine light in. Again, I start thinking, and maybe I need to do something different. And a next-door neighbor from down the street comes up, and he goes, hey, what are you doing? I said, well, just getting you know, my, my, my truck checked out. He goes, you mean the Toyota Tacoma? And I go, yeah, I didn't know you knew what kind of truck I had. He goes, man, I love that truck, man. Do you think about getting rid of it? Same thing happened again after I had already prepared this illustration. And at that particular point, it's funny because instead of looking at Craigslist, you put Craigslist away and you break out the armor, all right? And you start spraying it up and you're like, wow, look at this thing. This thing is awesome. And so you begin to forget about the things that you don't have once you're reminded of the value of what it is that you do have. And so that's the whole point of addressing and worshiping God in the beginning. You sit back and you have this whole laundry list of ideas. And when you've spent your time truly sitting there going, God, what else, what else is even necessary except for the essentials of life itself? Because everything else, as Paul says, everything else pales in comparison to know you. Or as Paul says, he says, everything else is rubbish and lighting of the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
And so the question that kind of arose to me, because I know this question is going to come up in some of your minds, Pastor Mike, is it ever okay to ask for more than the essentials? And here's where it's important for you to have a pastor that has been to Bible college, that has been to seminary, that has, has gotten his doctorate of ministry. It's important that he's had 20 years experience because I have been equipped to answer questions just like this. Is it ever essential to be able to answer, to, to ask God for more? And here is my expert opinion. I don't know if it's ever okay to, to ask for more than the essentials. And, and let, let me just say this. I, I look in the Word, I, I don't really see a whole lot of godly people in the Word of God asking for more than the essentials and for the immediate need. In fact, Solomon, when we look at Solomon, it's interesting with him because he's actually given a blank check to request anything that he wants to give, for God to give him anything that he wants, even the riches beyond imagination. And he chooses to bypass the riches and ask for wisdom in order to be able to lead and to be able to direct God's people. So I don't have a whole lot of evidence in that. So, but instead of giving that, let me give you a couple things to just think about as you navigate through your prayer life and when, whether you should ask or not. I think, first of all, motivation's got to play a part in this, would it not? I mean, in other words, if we're sitting there and we're saying, hey, listen, um, you know, I, I really, God, want you to be able to give me more and more than I need so that I can give to others who don't have enough in order to be able to meet a need. I think, I think we'd all agree that that might be a right prayer, that might be a good prayer, Yes, I mean, are you guys listening? I, I don't know what's happening. Okay, and so this is a conversation. And so, uh, so you get done with that, and, and, and I think it's okay. But if you're there, what I would, I, I think there's another question you need to ask yourself. The next question is, are you legitimately asking God for that reason? Okay, and, and the, or is your request to have more to give to people who don't have enough, is it just a veiled attempt at getting more stuff for yourself? Okay, and let me, this is why I say this. It's amazing how gracious people are with money they don't have. Have you ever noticed that? Dude, if I were to win that lottery, dude, I, I'd pay your house off. Yeah, I'd I, I, I pay the debt off to this church. I, I would do all these incredible things. And you're like, wow, you're a really gracious pe person for, for money that you don't even have, right? And so, so let me suggest this, okay? Let me just give you kind of an honest test. And here's a good test for you. Next time you go out and pray for more and you say that it's for other people. If you are not, every one of you is abundantly blessed beyond imagination. It may be hard for but many of you, you have far beyond what is absolutely essential to just mere keeping your life alive. Unbelievably blessed beyond that. Would we all agree with that? If you can't give out of the abundance that you have now, you'll never give out of a greater abundance. Ever. Ever. You'll never ultimately do it. So here, certainly motivation has got to be. Here, here's the second thing, I think. I think that if we do pray that, I'm not sure that we can have confidence that that prayer will be answered. Just not sure that we have confidence with it. Here's why. Because the promise appears to be that God is telling us, pray for the essentials. You know why? Because it's the will of God as a father to be able to give us the essentials. So we're praying according to the will of God. And because he's not saying, hey, pray for way more. Pray, pray, pray for riches. Now, I'm not saying that God can't do anything, uh, greater things spiritually in his kingdom and greater things than we can ultimately imagine. But I'm just talking about the regular physical things that we ultimately want is it okay to be able to pray for those things? And I just don't see in the word of God anywhere where, where we can sit there and say, I'm going to pray for this, I'm going to get it, and I can have confidence that God is going to answer it. And remember, through this whole series on prayer, we want to have confidence that God's going to answer our prayer. Not, not sitting back going, I don't know, I don't know if he's going to or not. 
It's not a good place to be. So here's the third thing I would say. I think it's interesting, don't you, that we're even having this conversation. Uh, Have you thought of that? In other words, stop and think the context of when Jesus was first giving this to those first century believers. When he said to them, ask for God to give you the essentials for life just for today, that meant something for them. Because many of them literally were living day to day wondering, will I have enough today to food to be able to put on the table to be able to sustain life for myself and for my children? This was real day to day. So imagine the encouragement and the promise when, when, when Jesus, comes and then Jesus comes and says, hey man, just pray that God will meet that need. And then later in the chapter, in chapter six, he says this, he, he lets them know there's confidence because we're praying according to God's will. He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You see what he's doing there? In the context, these people are finding this as an encouragement. You and I, only a few places in the entire world would actually ask the theological question, is it okay to ask for an abundance above what we have already been given and the essentials? Why? Because those essentials have been met by God. We've been so unbelievably blessed. Do you not find it strange that now instead of comfort, we find it a theological quandary is if we can ask God for more stuff when he's already met all the basic needs? You find that as kind of strange? It's, it's strange to me. To even think of that. So what should we do? How should we pray? Well, God tells us to do that. But let me add one thing in Proverbs 30, verse 8. Write this down. Proverbs 30, verse 8. I think here's a wonderful prayer. It says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Sounds like a great prayer. Some people are like, I ain't, I ain't praying that prayer. I don't want the poverty part, but if the riches could come, I'm good for that. But, but listen to why he says it. He says, feed me with the food that is needful to me lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? See, the whole point of praying for daily need is to be dependent on God. And it's where God ultimately wants us. And then he says, or lest I be poor and steal and profane in name of my God. If I have too much, I won't depend on God. If I don't have enough, I may become hard-hearted towards God. So God, give me what is necessary. So there we go. There's a request on the physical, but there's also a request on the sp- concerning the spiritual. We have spiritual needs. Now notice what Jesus says. He says, and forgive us our debts. So as essential as it is, listen to me, as essential as it is for you to have certain things to keep you physically alive each day, there's certain needs that you have each and every day that are essential for you to have spiritual life each and every day. And what we need from God each day spiritually is we need grace and continued forgiveness for our sin. Now, here he talks about sin and the idea of debts. There's five major, uh, really Greek words in the New Testament uh, that describe a sin, that are used for sin. And each one of them really describes kind of a different aspect of what sin is like. For example, one of the words speaks of missing the mark. The other, another one speaks of trespassing. The other one speaks of crossing the line. And the word that Jesus is using here it speaks of debt to God. That's a, that's a clear picture of what it means to, to, to sin against God. It means to, be, to owe a debt to him. But see, here's the bad news in the beginning part of the gospel is we owe a debt, but the problem is we cannot pay back that debt. No matter how good you want to be, no matter how sincere you want to be, to be a good person, to somehow pay God back, to make everything right, to make up for how you've rebelled against him and sinned against him, the Bible says you can't do it. 
Now, this is hard for somebody that coming from kind of a Catholic background, all right, which my whole family was, is sitting there going, well, wait a minute, I can't somehow work this debt off? No, you can't work this debt off. You're saved by grace through faith alone. But here, that's the bad news. You can work for the rest of your life, and you will, apart from God in hell, trying to work that off to be able to pay for that sin debt because the wages of sin is death. But here's, here's the good news. Uh, God will allow someone else to pay the debt for you. <laughs> that's the good news of the gospel, right? There's the bad news. Here's the good news. And not only will he allow it, he provided it through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ willfully came and gave his life so that our sin debt against God would be satisfied. And guess what happens? At that point, everything changes. Our whole standing before God changes. Instead of being an enemy of God, we now become a child of God, which means we are no longer condemned, we are no longer under judgment, and we are no longer indebted to our sin and here's great news. Nothing will ever change our standing. Nothing will ever change your standing as a true child of God. Now, we want to be careful with that because we don't want the guy who walked down when they were eight years old, prayed a prayer into the God side hold of their heart, and now living like the hell, you can turn around and go, hey, I'm still a child of God because I prayed that prayer. That's not what we're talking about. When we're talking about those who have truly repented and believed and have been converted and regenerated and are newly, are true believers in Jesus Christ, they will forever, no matter what, be a child of God. Amen? Forever. No, check this out. No matter what they do, they will always be a child of God. So there's a problem, though, here, right? The problem is, is we still keep on sinning, sinning and many times, in many ways, after we're believers in Jesus Christ, after God saves us. Would you agree? Not intentionally, but we fall, we struggle every day with our sin. So what do we do with, with that? Well, what we understand is that even though our sin now as believers can't change our standing as sons and daughters of God, it can certainly and does impact our fellowship with him. You know, you've heard this before, right? You've seen parents who their, their children are really rebelling. They're going through a difficult time, and our hearts go out for them. And, and you're like, oh, Lord, I, you know, I, I feel for this family. And they have to say to their children who are rebelling against everything that they know, they have to say to them, they'll say, hey, listen, I will always love you no matter what. I'll always love you no matter what. I'll always love you no matter what you do. No matter how far away you go, you will always be my child, and nothing will change the fact that you are my child. It's kind of like people, they look at you, and, and maybe the child is rebelling like crazy, and they're like, I don't know how you do it. And what the mom and dad says is, they're my child. What else am I going to do? They're, they're my son. They're my daughter. What else am I going to do? Nothing's going to change that, but you know as well as I do, but what can change based on their sin is your fellowship. They could do a lot of things that are going to disrupt that fellowship and that intimacy of that relationship because of their sin. And when they do, there is an appropriate time for them to come back to you and say, what? I'm, I'm sorry. I've sinned against you. I've done what is wrong. And are you, are you open to forgive? Yes. We embrace them. We forgive them. And then we have fellowship once again. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you were children of God. Nothing can ever ultimately change that through the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. But you need extended grace and mercy of God, not because your standing with God is in jeopardy, but your fellowship, your day-to-day -day fellowship with him is in jeopardy. So every day, just like you need that bread, every day you need to come to him, and you and I need to confess our sins before the Lord. And so there's, there's an illustration of this in the word of God, and it's, it's interesting because it's at the Last Supper, and it's kind of why I want to use it. And at the end of them eating, uh, Jesus, remember, this is right before Jesus goes to the cross to die. And so everything he's doing is reflecting what is about to come and what is about to happen. 
So at the very end of the service, he, he, at the end of eating, he gets down and he begins to wash the feet. And, and listen, take courage. I'm not going to wash your feet after the Lord's Supper today, okay? All right, so just be, if nothing else, be happy about that. And I could be happy about that. So I'm not going to do it. Remember back in the 70s, it's like everybody was washing everyone's feet? Okay, if you, if you lived that long ago, they did. All right, and so um, if you didn't, then I'm just old. So um, what happens here is, is Jesus gets down and, and he, he's, he's like, I'm, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter, of course, who always says the wrong thing at the wrong time, turns to him and says, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus' response, note this, Jesus' response is, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part of me. Now, here's what he was saying. What he's saying was, if you don't let me serve you, and by my serving of you, allow me to cleanse you of your sin on the cross, you can have no part of me at all. You can have no part of the Father. But then he comes around, and Peter says, again, showing that he doesn't get it, says, then wash all of me. You know, he's taking his shirt off, you know, and everything. Here I am. And Jesus is like, whoa, Peter, put the shirt back on. All right. He said, then he says to him, he says, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. Here's what Jesus was saying. Those who are already born again and have right standing with God don't need to be fully cleansed again. They need their feet washed because walking around in this world, they get dirty once again, and they need a daily washing. Make sense? Clear illustration. So this is how Jesus leads him. And so here's what he's telling us to do. We need to come and we need to confess our sins to God each day in our prayer. And so the idea of confess, understand, is that the meaning, the meaning of the word confess means to agree. You're just coming and you're agreeing with God about just how awful and wicked your sin is with him. You're identifying, you're going, God, my sin is what you say it is. It is wickedness. It is rebelling against you. God, I, I identify with that. Now, here's what I want to encourage you to do. What I want you to do within your prayer life is I don't think what Christ is trying to tell us here is that he's telling us just to pray the old blanket. If I've sinned against you in any way today, God, I ask that you will forgive me prayer, right? Don't we love that prayer? Some of you are sleeping. So let me, let me repeat that for those that are awake. Uh, when, you, when you repeat that, when you say, God, if, there's, if there be any way in which we've failed you today, and what's wrong with the prayer? Two things at least. Number one, if there be any way, I mean, it's 7 o'clock at night. Do you actually think you've gone all day long without sinning against God in some way, in, in somehow? No way. Many ways, many, many times we, we've sinned against him. What's the other problem? It sounds disingenuous. Look, you've known this in your personal relationships, right? You, you've got a friend with somebody or a coworker, and they come up to you and there's been, they did something against you and, and all of a sudden there's strife against you and they know that they need to make up and here's kind of like their appeal for making up and saying they're sorry. Hey, listen, man, I'm sorry. If there's anything that I ultimately did to hurt you, well, then I'm sorry. And then you sit there and go, if you did anything... You know you did something. First of all, it's why you're coming. And number two, you know very well what you did, right? And so they understand that. And what happens is it seems like completely, completely disingenuous. It doesn't seem sincere at all. I don't think it seems any more sincere to God when we're just sitting there going, hey, listen, God, I want to get to what uh, I really want to pray about. Uh, but God, just make sure that you just blanket forgive my sins. Here's what I encourage you. We need to come and confess our sins one by one to him. We're not radically changed without coming and spending that time and go, God, how is it that I've actually uh, sinned against you? Here's Bertha Smith. I've given this illustration before, but I got to tell you, once you've been preaching in a place 11 years, you're bound to use or hear the same illustration every once in a while, okay? You got that? All right. So you probably heard this Bertha Smith, a missionary to um, 
uh, to um, uh, China. Um, it was said of her while she was alive that people said that she was the most godly woman that anybody, godly person that anybody had ever met. To be around her was like being in the very presence of God. And people asked her, what, what's your secret? What, why does it just seem like you're always filled with the Holy Spirit? She goes, there's only one secret, and it's not a secret, she said. She says, the key for me is to confess every sin up to date. She goes, in other words, my key is not to wait till the end of the day or wait for two days or wait for a week to sit down and really reflect on how I've fallen short, but rather at that moment, the moment that I failed him, to begin to ask that God would forgive me of that sin. And then she noted this. She goes, the longer that it takes me to identify that sin and repent of that sin, she goes, the more I realize that I'm further and further away from God. The quicker I am to be sensitive to that sin and to confess it before God, the closer my walk is with him. And so Jesus just tells him, hey, listen, you need to come confess your sin. And then he adds this at the end. He says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. I, I'm not going to go through all this because we did a whole series on forgiveness. He's just been simply saying, hey, listen, don't think that you can come and seek forgiveness if you're not going to be graciously bestowing it upon other people. You have to make sure that this is right and you're forgiving others if you're freely going to receive it from him. Let's move on to this last little part. Last little part, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, this is a strange prayer to me. He's asking God not to lead him into temptation, into evil. Does God do that? Does God tempt with sin? No, according to James, no, Jesus can't tempt anyone with sin. So what's going on here? Well, I think what the person is doing is that they're just ultimately just praying according to God's will of what they already know God's will is. See, for example, in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, it says this, God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond which you are able, but with, will, with the temptation will provide a way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. Here's what a believer in Jesus Christ knows. You can go into one certain circumstance in your life, one time in your life that's very difficult, and it can both be a temptation of the devil, but a test of God. Would you agree? There's a temptation for you to fail, but there's also a test of God for you to be victorious in him and who he is and the power of the Holy Spirit who's inside of you to demonstrate that you have changed and you've depended upon him. It's an opportunity of faith. And so what I think what this person is doing, and stop and think about it with context as Jesus is laying this out. We just got done confessing our sin. Lord, forgive us of that sin. God, we've sinned against you. God, we know that we're not worthy of your love, but it's your grace and your mercy. What's the natural thing that you pray next? God, I don't want to do it again. I know it's serious. I know my sin is serious. I know you're going to forgive me. I don't want to do it again. Here, I think, is the prayer. Keep me a million miles away from sin. I don't want to get anywhere close to it. And so in, in temptation and falling to sin, there's two parts. There's opportunity, and then there's desire. When opportunity and desire meet, that's where temptation becomes sin, and you fall to that temptation. I think a prayer for us would be this, is God, let never those two meet. If there's the opportunity, let me not have the desire. If the desire is there, give me not the opportunity. Why? Because God, I know you are gracious to forgive, but I do not want to sin against you, a holy, just, righteous, merciful, gracious God. See that? See how that works? And so here we are at the, at the Lord's Supper today. And we're about to take of it. And so as, as Didi comes and as the musicians come and as we're about to play, here, here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to pray. 
And, and, and the Bible warns us not to, be, not to take of, of, the, of the sacraments in an unworthy manner. Do you know what that means? With unconfessed sin and perpetual sin upon our heart. So what we want to do is, number A, to make sure that we're in the faith. There needs to be a pray, prayer for some that they're calling out for initial mercy and grace for God to be able to save their soul. And, and we're going to have that moment. And if, if you want to know what that's like, I'm going to be down here in just a couple minutes. I would love to tell you. I'd love to counsel you. I'd love to tell you how you can have a right relationship with Christ. But then there are those who are in faith in Christ. We need to make sure that we wash our feet. Wash our feet that we're cleansed up because there's, there's filth, there's dirtiness from the world in which we live. We need to confess that before the Lord. We need to pray for some needs, but we need to make sure that those needs are funneled through the heart and the mind of God. So let's, let's do that. I'm going to ask you to stand. ask you to stand with me. I'm going to be down here. If, if you need to come and pray at the altar, feel free to be able to do that. You can pray where you are. If you want to know more about Christ, I want to talk to you about that. Uh, but let's just do business with the Lord, okay? And I'm going to ask our ushers to come at this time, if you don't mind. Are y'all ready? Y'all ready? All right, very good. So we are go, we're going to ask our ushers. Ushers, are you ready? Come on down. All right, come on down. All right. All right. Well, now we come to observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, which is given to us to celebrate in memory and broken body, of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is said that on that night before he was betrayed, that at the conclusion of the feast of the Passover, which he and his disciples were celebrating, that he took the bread, and having blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come to you, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you have done and for all that you are, and God, for you being our substitute. We talked about that today. That you allowed a substitute, and that a substitute willfully went and gave his life for us so that his body would be broken on that cross for us. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Gentlemen.
in John chapter 6, verse 58. He said, This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as our fathers ate and died. And he that eats this bread will live forever. And on that night, our Lord took the cup, and having blessed it, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my blood, which was shed for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you once again, and God, we know without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And God, that in the Old Testament, countless animals were sacrificed, but it could not satisfy your wrath. It only appeased it for a time. Then when Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes takes away the sins of the world would come and die and to be able to satisfy our debt towards you we thank you jesus for allowing your blood to be shed on our behalf in jesus name we pray amen
And according to the law, I may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood, and apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. 1 John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Go ahead and take. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen? Amen. Well, listen, that's about it. I've got one more announcement for you, and, uh, and that is um, next week. Um, here's another wonderful reason to be able to be here. We've been talking with you since the beginning of January about a debt retirement here at, um, at uh, Celebration uh, for the building. We owe just under $500,000 left on the building, and uh, it's been coming down a lot for the last couple of years, and so we're grateful for that. But we've also noticed that there are some, not noticed, but we do know that there are some folks that, that weren't here when we begin the debt retirement. And so what we want to do is we want to share the blessing with everyone, right? We want to make sure everybody is a part of that. And uh, I'm not going to promise you that if you give, God will make you rich. I'm not going to promise you that everything will go well. Um, guess what? You can give and your truck and everything else still break down. Amen? All right? It just seems to happen. But we give because we've been given to, right? And so, so that's what we want to do. So what we're going to ask you to do is take this card, and you say, where is this card? There's going to be uh, people, ushers outside that are going to hand everybody a card. Now listen, just so you know, inside to, to staff meetings, here we, well, who do we hand it to? Who do we know who to hand it to? If we hand it to some, what if they're offended and they don't want it and they turn it away? What if, what if we give it to uh, other people? We don't give it to some, and then they're offended because they weren't given it. Everyone is going to get a card, okay? And so whether you want to commit to be able to help pay off the debt or whether you want to you know, make it into an airplane and throw it at me next week, it doesn't make any difference. We're going to hand these out because, and let me say this, we want you to pray about this this week. We need you to pray about this this week because we, we don't want people to go, yeah, I got some spare change. This will work. Hey, that's great if that's a sacrifice to you. But it's going to take everybody to truly sacrifice on this thing for it to happen. Uh, we're not a big enough church or a wealthy enough church for people just to plop down. I hear stories like that all the time. Hey, here's 500 grand. Hey, that just never works for us, it seems like, all right? Uh, it always takes all of us to be at my family, the staff family, elders' families, everybody to come and to be able to sit together and say, okay, look, above our tithes and offering, this is something we need to put to be able to eradicate this debt, uh, to be able to take that $86,000 and to be able to move it over uh, into, of course, uh, we just want to let you know what we're using it for, but God has called us to be gracious givers, okay? So that's what we're going to do. So you'll be handed one of those. Don't be offended. Don't cuss at anyone, all right, if you don't mind. Uh, just be handed and pray about that. Fill it out if you don't mind. The other thing is people will ask, um, well, does this, is this like signing my name to a contract? No. It's not. All we're trying to do is get a final count and number so that we can kind of know what to, what to have and what to count on and say, hey, look, this is the goal that we're going to try to meet for the next two years. Does that make sense? Nobody's going to call you, hey, you're a little bit behind on your giving. No, we're not doing any of that either, okay? It's just for us to try to figure that out. Sound good? All right. Should be a great offering with that response. Let's go ahead and stand up, and uh, we'll, um, we'll, we'll dismiss, all right? But before you guys leave, what are you going to do? Greet each other, love each other, say, hey, how's it going? And look, everyone gets so nervous at this part. They're like, honey, you're the outward person. You do it. All right, so just, uh, I get it. So um, we're, we're going to pray and make sure that you just let everyone know how appreciative you are that them being here today. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Most of all, thank you for being here. God, you are worthy of all honor and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll see you all later. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.